Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Look around you. I mean it. Just look around you. Look at this. And when you look around, look at God. Slim said y'all been a, a, a church for close to three years, almost three years, barely three years, which means most of your life as a church thus far has been in a pandemic. And yet and still, God is building the church. This is a thrill for me. I get to go around to lots of different churches, lots of different places around the country, and let me bring you news from the field. There are people who would love to be where you are right now. There are people who are thirsty and hungry for a community like this, focused on Jesus and justice and diversity and all of those things. And I am just thrilled to be able to say, these churches are here. They're out there. They exist. Oh, what a wonderful time. By the way, do you know that what you're doing has cosmic implications? What we're doing right now reverberates into eternity. <laughs> like we're, we're, we're sitting here wiggling, wondering how long the service is going to last and thinking about the bathroom or what we're going to eat. And, and, and God is here. God is here. This is incredible. It's incredible. And it's incredible what God is doing in the church. Especially in a difficult time. Can we just acknowledge the time? We're, we're, I'm a historian. Malcolm and I, we bond over this kind of stuff. And, 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 and so much of history is, is, is context. Understanding what's going on in a certain time and in a certain place with certain people. And can we just talk about our context right now? I mentioned the pandemic a minute ago. We've been in this joint for almost two years. This pandemonium. And I don't know about you, but anyone else, does 21 feel harder than 2020 in some ways? I feel like that. Because 2020 is one of those things where, where it, was, it was bad, but it was new. So time, like, it, it just got all messed up. We, 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 I remember in March 2020, things shut down. We're like, what, what is this? Everything's closed? And then for months and months and months and months and months, we're like, we're waiting for the vaccine. And they're like, typically these things take three or four years. We're like, oh no. <laughs> and then a medical miracle, we get the vaccine within months. And then we're sort of waiting our turn because it's got to go to, you know, healthcare workers and immunocompromised and elderly people. That's the right thing to do. But we're like, I, I, I want the vaccine so we can go back to normal. And then we started to discover there's no normal <laughs> anymore. Oh, by the way, there was a historic racial justice uprising, too. That maybe kept us a little busy. So 2020, as disruptive as it was, it, it, it passed sort of quickly, but we were hoping 21 would be different. We were hoping, okay, now we've got the vaccine, now we can open up a little bit, now we can send our kids back to school, please, God. <laughs> I love our children, but not all day, every day, teaching them. Um, I say that as a former teacher. Uh, so, so 21 has dragged on and on and on. A new president, 
all this energy and, and, and action in the election and then so much more of the same in many ways, right? So much frustration, so much longing still. And so now we're here, we're here, we're here in December of 2021, just weeks, weeks away, y'all, from 2022. But, but if I'm honest, I, I don't feel the same sense of kind of anticipation for 22 because it feels like it's going to be more of the same. I don't know when we'll be able to gather without masks, when we'll be able to, to sort of associate more freely, when we'll uh, 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 turn the corner on some of this justice stuff. It feels like more of the same, but there's so much in me that's longing for something different, longing for something new. And I think that the same way we kind of feel about all of this, everything going on, is the way we sometimes feel about church. Longing for something different, not because we're bored, but because we're tired. Longing for something different, not just for a change of pace, oh, I think something different would be cool, but because we're weary of the same. We're looking for something different. We're looking for something disruptive in a positive way. We're looking for something new. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. A new kind of church. A new wineskins church. From our passage, you can't put old wine into new wineskins. And in a way, I think what the Spirit is doing right now among the people of God is saying, listen, I got some new wine, but it can't fit in your old wineskins. And so I want to talk to you just, just briefly about a few things. One, I want to talk about what it means to be an old wineskins church. Two, I want to talk to you about what it means to be a new wineskins church. And then three, we're going to talk about bursting wineskins. Old wineskins, new wineskins, and bursting wineskins. So this, this, this talk about wineskins is a little funky, right? I mean, who has a wineskin right now? <laughs> like, but the way I thought of it is this. Um, I have, a, I have a, a, a podcast called Pass the Mic and, and a really brilliant co-host, Tyler Burns. But, but you know, um, with great power comes great responsibility. So Tyler is brilliant. He's so smart. And, 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 and when he uses his powers for good, it's really good. But sometimes he turns those powers to mischief. And uh, uh, black folks, you know what I'm talking about. He, he, he likes the Jones on people. Old, old folks, they play the dozens. And, and so sometimes I'll get in his crosshairs and he'll just start making fun of me. And so we were at a podcast retreat one time recording all these episodes, all these deep, heavy, rich topics. And we've all got our laptops out. And my laptop had seen better days, y'all. I was a Ph.D. student. What do you expect? And so Tyler looks at it. and He's like, bro, <laughs> you need a new computer. That computer looks like you dragged it behind a pickup truck. That computer looks like you picked it up from IBM in 1972. That computer, blah, 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 blah. And he's going, like, ah, you silly man. As soon as we got home, the first thing I did was order a new laptop. So, 
I got this new laptop and I'm, I'm really excited, not just because it's a new laptop, but because now I'll have two power cords. I always forget my power cord. And those joints cost like $60, $70. It ain't cheap. So I'm like, great, now I have one I can keep at home. Now I have one I can travel with. And so I bust out the new laptop, unbox and all this stuff, get my existing power charger, try to put it... <laughs> Maybe it's this other port. No. It just, try and try it. It won't fit. It won't fit. Because, of course, with the updated laptop, you got an updated power adapter so they can get their money. You know how it goes. You can't put an old power cord into a new laptop. Just like you can't put new wine into old wineskins. And that's the analogy here. So it's really interesting what's happening. The religious leaders didn't like Jesus. And they didn't like him because of who he hung out with and how he talked about God. And so every chance they got, they tried to attack him. They tried to undermine him. They tried to label him. Sounds familiar. I don't know. Verse 33, they, they, they try to channel, challenge him. They say, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Now, how petty do you have to be to be mad at the way someone eats? That's what they're doing. But Jesus, more brilliant than they, responds and turns it into a teaching lesson. First of all, he says, listen, there is going to be a time for fasting, but y'all don't know who I am. If you did, you would understand now is the time for feasting. But then he goes on to say in verse 36, no one tears out a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. Again, you know, maybe you don't get the analogy because we got all these synthetic fabrics now, this polyester, this you know, faux fur, we even have faux leather, we might even have faux churches, but that's another, that's another sermon, y'all. But back in the old days, my mom used to make a big deal when we would go clothes shopping. You got to buy it a size larger. Why? Because when you wash it, it's going to, it's going to shrink. It's the same principle here. Jesus is saying, all right, you got an existing garment it's already been washed, it's already shrunk, but it has a hole in it. Maybe you got to patch up, so you take this new patch of cloth and you put it on the old, but then when you go to wash it, that new path of cloth is going to shrink, but because the old path of cloth has already shrunk, that new path of cloth is going to actually tear away and rip at the seams, and so you're going to ruin it. So you can't put a new patch on an old garment. Then he goes on and give this other analogy about wine and wineskins. Now, we don't get that either. Well, they used to hold wine in wineskins, leather wineskins. Over time, leather gets hard and brittle. The way wine goes from grape juice to wine is through the fermentation process. Fermentation produces gases. New wine is still fermenting. And so when you put new wine in an old wineskin, it's still producing those gases. And what's going to happen is if it's an old wineskin that's dry and brittle, it's going to crack and burst. 
as that new wine ferments inside. And guess what? The, the new wine is going to spill out and the wineskin will be ruined. You're going to lose both. You need new wineskins that are, that are more flexible and pliable and supple in order to take on the new wine. And that's what Jesus is trying to com- convey to the folks here. But we know there's something deeper. Jesus is not off ultimately talking about fabric and beverages, y'all. I just wanted to make sure that was clear. He's not ultimately talking about fabric and beverages. He's talking about the old covenant and the new. Woo, woo. Jesus will do that on you. Woo. He's a Jedi with this. He's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have become rigid and brittle like old wineskins. We got to do it this way. And Jesus said, not all of that's bad, not all of that's wrong, but understand the Messiah has come. It's new wine. It's a a good news message, and it's not going to fit in the containers that you're trying to force it in. New wine and new wineskins. Now, don't get nervous right now, all right? Don't start tweeting and texting. Jamar's talking about heretical talking. He thinks we need a new Bible. We need a new savior. They're already doing that besides you late. (laughs) I'm not talking about replacing ancient truths I'm talking about how we apply the eternal word in context. Jesus wasn't talking about changing everything. He's saying it's a fulfillment of what we've been talking about. But see, the Pharisees weren't ready to hear that, and I think so many Christians today aren't ready to hear that either. This is old wineskins churches. Many of you are here as refugees from old wineskins churches. Can we talk about it? Many of you are here running away from what feels like a pharisaical, fundamentalist, rigid, brittle structure. An old wineskins church. If we can really break it down in context, I think there are at least sort of three macro or big picture factors that have revealed the old wineskins kinds of churches. The first one is the pandemic. I don't think we can overstate how disruptive this has been globally, nationally, but also ecclesiastically in the church, right? I think that was God using this catastrophe. We're not going to spin it and say, oh, it's good. You know. But if we are attentive to the Spirit, it's God grabbing the church by the lapels and shaking us and saying, is this what you think church is? Is this what you think I mean by the people of God? One massively disruptive factor of the pandemic is that we started meeting through screens. 
Right now, I'm talking to you through a screen. Some people are tuning in online from who knows where. Welcome, by the way. We're glad you're here. Anytime. <laughs> Do you know, I remember in, 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 in my Christian circles, there were these wars, these arguments about whether you could have genuine, real church through a screen or a multi-site or whatever it might be. And now we're like, yeah, how's your, how's your online game? What, what, what program do y'all use? How's your AV team getting along? Like it's normal right now. But what it did do, what it disrupted, what I hope it did was cause us to rethink what it means to be the church. I'm going to talk about that more in a second. But the pandemic, the second factor is the Me Too slash Church Too movement. The Me Too slash Church Too movement. If you're not familiar with that terminology, um, in the past several years, there has been a renewed and honestly long overdue attention given to gender roles in the church, sexual abuse in the church. Um, the term comes from a black woman named Tarana Burke who wanted to bring attention to forms of sexism and sexual violence. And then as she was doing that, and this was sort of becoming more broad, uh, widespread in society, Christians started to say the same things are happening in, in the church. And it was actually a really explosive uh, article in, in the Houston Chronicle, I believe, that, that, that showed how churches were protecting abusers, shuffling them from one church to another so they could continue the abuse, and then uh, gaslighting and denying and disempowering the victims who had the courage to come forward. Things that if you, you look at them in general, but especially in the church, you say, this ought not to be so. And then the third factor, I would say, is, is the Black Lives Matter movement. And I know that's a triggering word for some, but I think that's the banner under which the present-day racial justice movement walks. I could go into a whole thing about where the church has been and who's leading the current movement and why more Christians haven't been at the forefront, but that's another sermon. But y'all, we had a historic racial justice just by the numbers, the number of people who participated in some form of march or protest in 2020 dwarfs the numbers of the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. It was bigger. Now, we're living in it, so we can't always recognize the significance of it. But as a historian, as I'm looking at the past and, 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 and analyzing the present, I'm like, wow. <laughs> there are a lot of parallels and what it has done in our churches is revealed the extent to which many of our institutions are committed to racism and white supremacy rather than racial equity and justice. What's happening now is a realignment in the church where some churches are doubling down on the status quo, which is racist, a racist status quo. And then some people probably, like many of you sitting here or listening in, have said, this isn't for me. I want to be part of the solution and, and, and whatever's happened. And y'all know this better than most, don't you? <laughs> Going through everything with your previous denomination and whatnot. We're seeing 
the true colors of the church, as it were. And this combination of factors has revealed in a new way the old wineskins kinds of churches. It's caused us, or it should cause us, to search the scriptures and ask God, Lord, what is required of us in this time and in this context? Because so much of what we were doing isn't working. So much of what we're doing is cause, y'all, Jesus' last words before he ascends to heaven, go preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why? Because he knows that when we follow him and we gather together, that's what an ecclesia means, the assembly. When the assembly gathers together, something cosmic happens, something beautiful happens, something eternal happens. And Jesus wanted so much for people to experience that, that in his last words before the ascension, he says, go and spread this word. So my burden is that these old wineskins churches are actually repelling people from Jesus or what they think they know of Jesus. So my heart is broken about the people who don't want anything to do with church because of the church, (laughs) because of church folks. And if we really love people like Jesus tells us to love people, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, then we are going to be weeping daily at the fact that more people aren't running towards the church, running towards Jesus in this time of a, of a pandemic, in this time of church too and me, me too, in this time of racial injustice. That's the urgency of the matter. People aren't getting to know Jesus because of church people behaving badly. Those are old wineskins churches. And I pray that wouldn't be us. So if we don't want to be an old wineskins church, what what does it mean to be a new wineskins church? What does it look like? What should it be about? Well... Trying to do church in a pandemic highlighted something for me. It made me realize that when it comes to doing church, there's a truth I think we should recognize. Maybe I'm wrong, but it occurs to me that if every church can't do it, it might not be essential to what it means to be the church. If every church can't do it, it might not be essential to what it means to be the church. What do I mean? Um, Y'all live in a college town. You've got young professionals. You've got folks who are talented with technology and social media and all of that. I live in the Mississippi Delta on the Arkansas side. Nobody even thinks about Arkansas. We have a teeny, 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 tiny little church, and when the pandemic struck and we couldn't meet in person, and every church had to pivot to video or some form of, you know, remote church, there were some churches that did it like that. Some churches that were already doing it. Church like ours had to spend months and months and months just trying to figure out the basics because we didn't have all those resources, right? And it was so frustrating to me because I saw all these other churches seeming to sort of hit the ground running. 
But then it occurred to me, is, is, is that essential? If every church can't do it, and we had it better than a lot of other churches globally, right? There are lots of churches globally that don't have internet, <laughs> let alone a building or an AV team or anything like that. So if not every church can do it, is it really essential to being the church? So a new wineskins church is going to realize what's essential and what's nice to have. Having that, is, it, it, it's not bad. It's nice to have. Boy, I, 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 I would do anything we had to do to get a, a, a singer like Jada. She was so good up here, she had me thinking I could sing. I was trying to hit the high notes. <laughs> Only Dr. Malcolm heard me, so he, that, that was a blessing. I didn't know Slim could play the drums. That's the first time I heard him. He was jamming on them. That's not bad. That's nice to have. But not every church has that. And so is it essential to what it means to be the church? Now, I got a lot of unlearning to do from seminary, but one thing I remember very well um, is... Something, a motto I learned in a class on worship. And it goes like this. What is essential to being the church? Now, this is very bibliocentric. I'm not really trying to do that, but I, I do think there's, there's some truth here. What is essential to being the church is read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, see the Bible, sing the Bible. Scripture. Grounding us in truth. Teaching based on the eternal truth of God's word. Prayers arising and shaped from God's character. Singing that glorifies God. And seeing scripture come to life through the sacraments, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. Like that's, that's, that's it, y'all. That's the basics. Every church can do that even if it looks different. A new wineskin church gets back to the basics, but there's more. There's context. So if these old wineskins churches are, are demonstrating such sort of rigidity in the face of our context about race, about the pandemic, about me too, church too. Then a new wineskins church for our context needs to do the opposite. <laughs> so what else is going to characterize a new wineskins kind of church? First of all, and this is maybe coming out of left field for you, a dedication to truth. What makes our electoral politics so hard right now is that we're living in what I call different epistemological ecosystems. Epistemology, the science of knowing. How do we know what we know? What do we evaluate as true and false? And increasingly, we're living in completely different ecosystems. Now, an ecosystem, if it's functioning well, is actually self-sustaining. So when you leave in and live in an epistemological ecosystem that traffics in lies and mistruths and untruths, then it's self-perpetuating, which means it's hard to break through. So how can you have a substantive conversation about a political policy when you can't even agree on reality? 
So at my church, when the election was looming in November 2020, I didn't preach on left, right, liberal, conservative. I preached about truth. I'm not ever going to tell you who to vote for. I am going to tell you how we as followers of the way, the truth, and the life ought to be evaluating information. A new wineskins church is going to have a dedication to truth, and guess what? That's going to mean calling out things that are uncomfortable, calling out things that make people mad. The Bible word for calling out is prophecy. It's going to take a prophetic voice for truth, y'all, just basic truth, reality, and facts. A new wineskins church is also going to be dedicated to racial justice, not as a fad, not as a fashion, not as a reaction. So a year hence from 2020, people are looking around like, what happened to everybody? (laughs) We were marching before. We were protesting before. We got a Juneteenth holiday out of it. I have mixed feelings on that, but hey, I'll take a day off. Um, But now what? Because we saw a lot of churches who hopped on the racial justice bandwagon when everybody else was doing it, but as soon as it got lengthy, as soon as it got difficult, as soon as the headlines changed, their commitment was pretend like we didn't say that. Let's go. Oh, look at that. That's why I say a dedication to racial justice. But y'all know all about that right now, right? Like you've got people of various hues and colors and backgrounds and cultures. It's a beautiful thing. But it's rare. Even in 2021, about to turn the page to 2022, it's rare. To have a church, a community that's truly dedicated to racial justice. By the way, y'all, young folks are seeing this and they're not impressed. Like if you're not about justice right now, you can go on. They can detect the superficiality of our commitment. And unless we have a dedication to racial justice, there are going to be a lot of people who don't think Jesus has anything to do with them. A new wineskins church is also going to reevaluate its relationship with half the population, women. We're going to look at old patterns of patriarchy and misogyny and misogynoir and say how even black folks can perpetuate this stuff especially in the church. I don't know what you believe around ordination, roles, and... At a minimum, which is so basic it's almost insulting to be said, women are fellow image bearers of the likeness of God. My God, can we just get that basic truth out there? I say this as a man who's very imperfect with living that out, but I know it ought to be so. 
And a church that doesn't dignify women is going to have the same effect of a church that's not dedicated to racial justice. People are going to see it. They're going to detect the superficiality, the hypocrisy, and they're going to pass right on by. New wineskins church. Lastly, and I think this goes back to the basics of a new wineskins church, is that it focuses on people and relationships more than programs and performance. It focuses on people and relationships more than on programs and performance. It's being the church versus doing church. Here's what I've seen, especially among younger folks. You know, you look at all the, 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 the studies out there, and it's talking about the rise of the nuns. People automatically associate that with no religion at all, atheism, agnosticism. The reality is a nun, N-O-N-E, is someone who doesn't claim any particular religious tradition. But they're spiritual. They're still searching for something bigger and transcendent. It's not that they don't believe in a higher power. They just don't claim any particular tradition, mostly because of the old wineskins factors I mentioned before. But what I've sensed and and, and what I've detected and what I desire for myself is that people are not looking so much for a program or a presentation, somebody to get up front and put on a show. They're looking for connections and community and relationships. That's what a new wineskins church needs to offer. Not come and see, but come and be. That's what a new wineskins church has to offer. Because guess what? If you want to put on a show, Netflix has your beat. If you want to put on a performance, can't nobody match Beyonce. You're going to lose at that game. What you can offer is a new way of relating to God and each other that makes you into the person that you were always meant to be. That's what the church has to offer. It's what it's always offered. It's what a new wineskins church has to offer. Let's talk about, lastly, briefly, bursting wineskins. Because this new wineskins church sounds exciting, right? But there are some threats that can burst our wineskins, even at a church like Mosaic. So Mosaic, let me tell you this. A lot of you have come from places where they were overtly, blatantly, clearly doing some things wrong. And I don't know how long you searched, but you finally found a community like Mosaic. They're about Jesus, they're about justice, they're about diversity, they're about dignity. And the temptation will be to sit down and do this. Thank God we're not like those old wineskins churches. The temptation will be toward complacency. Toward passivity. Now that we've got ours, let's build what we've got. And you know what? I believe God is going to continue to build this congregation. 
I believe more people will come. I believe there will be more tithes and offerings so you can do more programs and offer more resources. I believe that it's going to continue to grow and you'll have good leadership in all of those things. But don't turn around one day and realize that you are more committed to doing things as we've always done them than to doing the right thing. It can happen even at a church like Mosaic. And so an additional challenge is going to be, what could burst the wineskins, is going to be focusing on growth through transfer rather than conversion. That's the Bible, that's theological speak, right? Point being, in the church we tend to shuffle people around rather than going out to the people who have never met Jesus and telling them about Jesus. So the challenge in a church in Waco, Texas, where practically everyone would claim Christ, you got some undiscipling to do. Some people who claim to know Jesus and Jesus right now would say, I never knew you. And then you've got to redisciple them. But, but, but don't think for a moment that in your community there aren't people who don't know Jesus, who wouldn't even claim Christ. What are you doing about them? Are they welcome at Mosaic? Can we not just have a diversity of races and ethnicities, but a diversity of spiritual walks and where people are? Do you know a Jesus that you can go to anyone who doesn't currently follow Jesus and be excited about telling them about this Jesus? When's the last time we've done that? I'm not great at it. I know that. But I know it's a threat even to a new wineskins church to become so inwardly focused that we forget Jesus' words to go make disciples. Threats to a new wineskins church. So far, we've been talking about the church as an institution, right? A congregation, a building, whatever. What I want to leave you with is that a new wineskins church is not just about a place, it's about a people. A new wineskins church is not about a place, it's about a people. It's not simply about what we do, it's about who we are. Church is not so much a place to go as a people to be 24-7, all day, every day, not a couple of hours on Sunday. But I'm going to also warn you, if you start living this way, you're not going to have a taste for it because it's so different. That's why it says in verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new For they say, the old is better. You had the old wine. You're used to it. Now there's this new wine. The old is better. Not because it is better, but because I'm used to it. In our faith, in our spirituality, in our churches, we can reject the new wind of the Spirit because we're used to the old ways. We'll reject it and say the old wine is better.
But thanks be to God, it doesn't rely on us. The gospel is so sweet. Look at the way Jesus did this thing. Close to his death, Jesus had a final meal with his disciples. Some call it the Last Supper. I had a conversation recently. We asked, do you think they were laughing at the Last Supper? You think they were talking a lot or was it like a really somber occasion? Did they know what was coming? I think they were talking and laughing and feasting just like they always did. I, what I wouldn't give to go to a dinner party with Jesus. Like that would be not only profound, right? I think it would be fun. I think Jesus could tell a joke. I think things probably got awkward when he said, but well, one of you will betray me. <laughs> Then maybe it got silent. But at that last supper, he also said a couple of things that we say almost every week. He took the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you know what else he said? This cup is the new wine of the new covenant. Remember the picture Jesus gave? You can't put new wine into old wineskins. And then Jesus comes in the Last Supper and says, guess what, guys? I'm the new wine. I'm what you can't put into old wineskins. This cup represents my blood, which represents the new covenant. The new relationship with God that is brought to you by believing in me, the Messiah. You can't put that message into an old wineskins community. You can't put that message into an old wineskins church. You can't put that message into the hearts of people who aren't ready to be radically changed and transformed. Oh my goodness, Jesus is the new wine who wants to be poured out into your heart. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to live not just with you, but in you? Or are you, as the people of God, as a person of God, the old wineskins who when Jesus comes in, he's going to make room because Jesus is big, y'all. And Jesus wants to be a big part in your life. And if you profess to know Jesus, he's going to enter your heart and he's going to make room for what he wants to make room for. And if you're not ready, you're going to have a whole house that's in disarray, a whole house that's toppled down. And that's what's happened to so many of our churches. The whole house has come down because Jesus has been poured out into there and there's no room for him. Let me leave you with this. We've been talking about the church how to be not an old wineskins church, a new wineskins church, bursting wineskins. But here's the truth. We're not inviting people to church. We're inviting people to Jesus. We don't invite people to Mosaic Waco. We invite people to Jesus. And we invite people to Jesus in community. We say, come learn alongside me. 
And here's the marvelous thing that God does is that when we focus on Jesus, then guess what? One day you look around and say, oh, there are other people doing it too. I guess we're the church. So you understand what it means to be a new wineskins church is to not figure out the strategies and the tactics and the programs and what's going to get people in the doors. The, 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 the being a new wineskins church means focusing on Jesus. And as you focus on Jesus, you become the church. So I got nothing for you today except one thing. And that's Jesus. Y'all, Jesus doesn't want you to be lonely. Jesus doesn't want you to suffer through life on your own. Jesus doesn't want you to feel like you're bearing this weight all by yourself. Jesus wants you. And you may not want Jesus right now, but Jesus wants you. And Jesus is ready and waiting as the new wine poured into your new wineskin's heart so that as you follow Jesus, you become the church. And that's good news. Amen? And amen. Thank you.